This is Muriel. Um, Muriel is a friend of mine, and uh, I, I'm gonna I'm, correct me if I get anything that here wrong. <laughs> you have a long, long list of accomplishments uh, in your, you know, in your motorcycling career, and I don't think I've ever gotten personal with you beyond motorcycles either. So I'm sure you have a lot of other cool awards and stuff outside of bikes. But uh, you've you are an MOA ambassador, right? Yes. Um, and you're also you, you were a board member of the MOA for nine years, a secretary. Okay. Uh, and now, well, for the last uh, decade at least, you've been president on and off of the Vermont BMW Club, right? Yeah. Um, I was always an officer of some level or another. I think I was secretary, and then I think I've been everything but treasurer. Yep. Maybe not vice president. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, in my opinion, one of the B- Vermont BMW Club is one of the most successful clubs around these days you know a lot of them are really struggling with financials and rally attendance and the vermont club just keeps growing which is great we've got the critical mass which really helps mm-hmm. I, there are a couple of clubs one in particular that's small and they struggle and they don't have the critical mass yep and uh once you have that i think as long as you treat people the way you'd want to be treated, it doesn't seem like an issue to keep members and have a dynamic club. Well, we should probably get into that a bit more later, which is, you know, one thing you told me really early on when I first met you was always putting the members first. It is the way to a successful club because it's all about the members, right? And so there's also, um, I think you've ridden 300,000 miles. Is that your current? 375. So, the, but the milestone, I guess, was three hundred, and you're kind of still you're still going. No, my milestone. Well, yeah, I, I'm after four hundred by the end of the year. Okay. Um, and in the in the BMW world, you know, it's it's that's already a, a huge accomplishment. I guess sport touring world in general. I mean, you know, I guess there's some Goldwing riders that have done millions of miles, but you know, in our world, that's a lot of miles, and that's not even you know, if you go to the MOA website and then you filter out all the men you're you're i think are you the, the top female rider in the u.s is that where you i was third this year yeah which is that's a huge accomplishment right and that feels yeah, special. not bad for an old bad on bike <laughs> <laughs> it, it, if, it, and that's one thing when i when i meet you people and i tell them about you that's one of the first things i open with is yeah she's like the number one um woman rider in the country and uh you know possibly north america or canada whatever you want to split it but um I think that's a big deal, but if you even if you put the men back in, you're still way up there on the list. Yeah, you know, I was looking at the list that came out in the last magazine, and and the top women riders aren't they don't have, get as many miles as the guys do. Uh, and although Artis uh, Kellerman, mm-hmm. who um, she got eighty thousand miles in six months, a hundred in a year. Wow! And she was seventy five years old. <laughs> And she beat the pants off the guys that year. <laughs> and she was after her million miles. And mm-hmm. she and Vonnie Glaves got it at the same time on the Million Dollar Highway. Wow. And uh, it was really special. She was quite the lady. It makes me wonder, too, that it's not... I don't see the mileage contest being gender-based, being that women are less capable of doing high miles. I think it's just less women riders that it's it's... You get overshadowed by all the men out there that are riding. There are probably more responsibilities that may mm-hmm. keep the women off the road more. 
I mean, if they have a family or anything, they're more likely cleaning the house and <laughs> doing that sort of thing. Yeah, I've, it's hard to say. I've met some women who had stopped riding when they had their, their kids and then mm-hmm. got back into it later in life because uh, they, they didn't want to put be out there on the road putting their life at risk you know, with family yeah. at home. Well, that's the same with the guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of the wives will say, no, you got a little kid. You're not going out on mm-hmm. that bike. So works both ways. And how, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's, I guess it's a personal choice, but, but you, you put, do you feel like you put riding above a lot of other things in your life? Or do you, you found that balance where you're able to enjoy the hobby responsibly and still take care of things? Well, I, I half jokingly say I gave up men for a motorcycle and the cat. <laughs> um, so I don't have anybody depending on me. Mm-hmm. Cat died. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, it's and I live in an area where they mow the lawn and shovel the snow and and that frees you up mm-hmm. to do more. And once I retired, you know, the only thing I obliged to do is what I got myself into, like yep. being president of the club. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. True. Yeah, and, and so the back to the MOA, uh what's the first year you joined the, the National M- MOA Club? I think it was two thousand. Yeah. And how how soon did you get involved as a volunteer immediately? Um, Vermont Rally, uh, which is Burlington, that, right? Yeah, was that ninety six? Oh, yeah. I think um, our club was in charge of a lot of the rally, the mm. local okay. stuff of the rally, and uh, Sandy. Um, Cohen, there we go, <laughs> senior moment, yep. um, uh, was editor of the Owner's News at the time, and she asked me if I would um, be in charge of the publicity mm-hmm. for it. And uh, so I divided up the state into regions, um, which was, you know, they were all about a day, you know, a day ride go out for a day ride so I didn't cover the whole state but quite a bit of it and into New York and then I'd find somebody in the club to write uh write up a ride for that particular area and describe it and then I gathered them together and some I wrote myself and sent in and at that rally I know I was sitting around um we we had a campfire. It was a flashlight in the center because you couldn't have a real campfire. <laughs> um, and I think one of the people said, why didn't I run for the board? And um, I thought about it. And and uh, I guess that time, so it might have been, huh. it, I guess it was the next election after that I did. And I was traveling on business and uh, met Dave uh, Swider out in California, mm-hmm. he and Tina, and um, asked him what it was like being on the board. He was president at the time. And uh, he encouraged me to run, and I won. So oh. <laughs> here was the next <laughs> nine years of my life. <laughs> and you didn't feel like it was a popularity contest and if you if you won, because it's it should be about what you can do, not who you know, right? Well, I suppose there's, I mean, you run into uh, people who say, oh, I don't know who to vote for. I don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So th- I don't think they give enough weight to what people, uh, you know, could really contribute to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't even know if I was confident in what I could contribute other than my time and energy. Which is, and, I mean, uh, it's a, that's worth a lot, a lot though. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. But it was fun. It was scary at first, and then it was how fun. How would you, and I know that, that every, you know, that the clubs are always changing, but how would you, you know, sort of the time you spent in the the MOA, did you, did when you came away from that after nine years, was it, you feel burnt out? Did you feel like accomplished? Did you, how, how would you describe that, you know, time you spent uh, personally almost? Um, Not to get too political. <laughs> no, um. I mean, after nine years, I was ready to have, you know, a little more free time. Yeah. Um, some of my lack of free time was my own doing because I had my ideas of how to take minutes and how I wanted to report it. And I always felt strongly that the members should know as much, you know, as much as possible. They, they, And um, so I think I accomplished that. I know... Uh, when Reese took over, he started recording everything, mm. and then he worked from his recordings. Well, in a way, t to me, that would be more work to have to go back over it when I can type fast and just type directly in, <laughs> into the mm -hmm. computer as things happen. Um, the disadvantage of the way I did it is your mind isn't able to contribute to the whole meeting quite as much. Right. At the beginning, they had a recording secretary, and so the position I was elected to, you could use what the other person did, but I didn't feel personally comfortable with it, not not anything about any yeah. particular person. It's just that I wanted it to be what I heard and not rely on somebody else, um, but that was a personal choice. Yeah, and 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 I've I've been told by various MOA mem uh, members that volunteer a lot that the more you volunteer, they'll take it. So you you could really could give your whole time to the national club, and they'll they'll use it, which you know is a good thing because there's lots of work to be done. Um, yeah, I oh, um, looking at the volunteer situation, I know at one time, uh, you know, people would say, oh, once they make them an ambassador, they disappear and they don't mm. volunteer anymore. And then and then the ambassadors think, well, you know, I don't have a job anymore. There's oh, yeah. so a communication thing there. And I know in the past couple of years, I was chair of a committee for several years and I was a, a co-chair or something. And now they don't even call and I don't see a list mm. of what they need. Well, I still go and volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but there is a there's a balance there, communication that I think it'd be good to keep people involved as well as getting others. That sort of got away from what you were saying. No, you can right. you can you can get too few people volunteering and constantly where you need new blood in there. Yep. Spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah, the, the, having and it's not it's not just age. It's it's it new perspectives, new ideas, and and mm -hmm. that. But that can also have a, a double edged sword where it can be challenging to um, to members who have been members for twenty five years. It's going, why, why are we doing it this way? This is <laughs> this is way way too extreme. And you know, especially with my role at the MOV, I've been really careful to not really try to do anything sweeping because um, you know. It's you. You can't. It's like going from a a, a a gas car to electric car. There's just so many changes that have to happen. It can't happen overnight. So um, and and I guess you know, kind of follow up question to that is is 
your transition to an MOA ambassador, what was that process like? You know, what was the the vetting process like? Is it nominated? That how does that happen for you? To become well, one? nobody's supposed to know that they're being nominated. Okay. You the first thing you know about is when they call and say you were. Okay. And uh, the um, ambassador liaison will collect nominations for people. And there has, well, it doesn't have to be. There should be a photograph and then some text, and then it's got to be signed off by something like 10 MOA members. And then it's presented to the board, Mm. and it's an executive session. And um, and then they, you know, say whether there's enough information. And um, then the person is voted ambassador or not and usually if not it's because there's information lacking okay or uh they just really haven't done enough and what is enough is of course nothing you can really put your finger on but and i guess that could be a popularity contest then if you think of it that way but it's not always i guess because it has to be based on data that's presented yeah um usually somebody on the board will know the person who's being nominated mm-hmm. um i can't remember if there was any ever anybody who nobody knew but it isn't really a popularity contest i mean you couldn't i mean if you ran the whole moa rally that would probably be enough (laughs) you know but if you were i mean it doesn't count if you're like a club president it's supposed to be an moa thing and uh if you volunteered at the gate every year uh, and just signed up for it, that probably mm-hmm. wouldn't be enough either. Yeah. If you chaired it or co-chaired it, mm-hmm. um, so you, you have to do a fair amount of money, but it's it's nothing you uh, consciously earn. <laughs> well, right, and there's not, I, I don't think anyone that's an MOA ambassador set out to become one. I mean, the, yeah. there's not really any perks, right? It's it's a, it's a, it's an honor they're bestowing on you based on your contributions to the to the. The, the national club. Yeah, it's yes. And, and, and maybe that's important to because a lot of people, it's weird when you and I talk, we talk because we've had exposure to a lot of more, you more than me, but I, I feel like I've learned a lot about the, the various club structures and how things work over my past three or four years. And it's important to mention that there's the MOA, which is the national club, right? It's a, of America, which is, I guess, is South America and North America, which mm-hmm. is North America. And then there are chartered clubs, which the Vermont club is, the Yankee Beamers are. Um, and so when you said club president, that means that even if you're just a charter club president, yeah. there's yeah. no overlap really because being a club president doesn't mean you do anything with the MOA if you don't want to. Right, right. You know, there's, a, there's a difference in everything. It's a totally different organization, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that you more than most people that I know, you speak pretty highly and try to support the RA, which is the BMW Riders Association as well. Um, you know, me as an outsider to the RA, I'm a member, but I haven't really done anything with them. They're significantly smaller than the MOA. Is that correct? Yeah, they're almost like a big charter club. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they are a national club. They're small. Um, almost everything is done by volunteers. It's an amazing amount of work that they do. Um, I mean, if you, I can't remember, numbers in my head don't get along really well, but um, if they got uh, 2,000 people at their rally, they, you know, they'd be pretty happy about that. Okay. Where 
with the MOA, you're hoping for 6,000 anyway, depending on part of the country. Yeah. You may or may not get it in the weather. <laughs> you may or may not get it, but um, they are small. They they Their size allows them to go to some pretty interesting places mm-hmm. that cannot take 6,000 people. Right. So that's the advantage of it. And I've never seen the two organizations as an either-or situation anyway. They each um, have things to offer, and uh, it's another rally, another excuse to hit the road. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I find they're, um, they've put a lot of effort into their print magazine as far as the, mm-hmm. the photos and the design, I and mean, they really seem to take extra care to make that magazine really shine. Um, and the MOA one just has a lot more ads and that's, you know, that's the contrast for those two. Um, and I guess, you know, this is a question that you know, I may answer myself, but if someone, because you and I are a member of probably, I'm a member of eight clubs at this point between the nationals and the locals, you're probably, you know, that or more, uh, in your annual dues. I haven't counted them. <laughs> but, um, if someone wanted to join one club, they've got 30 to $50 to spend and they only have enough, maybe four weekends a year to go to a rally or two, would you recommend they stick with their local chartered club versus joining the national? Or how do you feel about where their money should be spent as a, hmm. at this point? Uh, I suppose if they're more inclined to travel, the national club would make more sense Mm -hmm. and if their time is limited um there are going to be more activities in their immediate area with a local club a lot of local clubs you don't even have to belong to go to their activities um i don't know i guess i haven't thought of that as an either or either unless it's a financial either or and then in which case i guess the bmw riders might not have much of a leg to stand on for you know having financial constraints on joining, you know, two or three $20 clubs. Um, well, I don't know about that. But but <laughs> a, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough question. And I think, you know, I think it, it, me personally, at some point, I'll probably pull back from being a member of so many because, mm. you know, I, like I haven't gone to any of the Southern Maine Riders events yet. I plan to go to their uh, Down East rally this year. But um, same goes to the Quebec Club. I join every year, but I haven't gone to their rally either. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I th- I see it as supporting those clubs and keeping them healthy is why I renew every year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so kind of back to the the um, you know your role in the Vermont club, um, was that there was there was there overlap between the Vermont BMW club and the MOA as far as when you were spending your time where you were you doing both at the same time at one point? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And, and by that, like secretary of of the national, but also you know president, president of, the, of the Vermont Club. Yeah. Um. I, I guess I'm I guess I'm more curious how you how you juggled that because that seems like a lot of work. Oh well, again, when you're the only mouth to feed or only person to entertain, you've got more flexible time. And I guess I've always thought when I had a lot on my plate, you work twice as hard <laughs> so yeah. you, you just speed it up a bit well i've been told by a lot of a lot of people that you know you, one of you that your newsletters for the vermont club are, are one of those things that's really sticky it gets people to renew every year they like reading the stories and and that you know it's it's a labor of love because obviously you're a volunteer mm-hmm. and um and doing that takes a lot of your time 
So I, I'm, you know, one of my biggest concerns, if you ever say, Hey guys, I just, I can't do anything anymore. I'm just going to ride and enjoy myself that the newsletter is really going to suffer a lot without you working on it so diligently. Well, a couple, year and a half ago or so, I, um, I had a hissy and quit for a while. And, uh, so it was nine months without a newsletter mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that it's just a situation that, um, I figured wasn't worth me losing sleep over, and once that resolved itself, I took it back. I'd I'd love to get a, a you know, a assistant editor or somebody to take it off over. Mm-hmm. I've done it for over eighteen years. Um, you know, <laughs> it'd be nice not to do it sometime, but I don't want to see it die. So I'm not good at math, but then you've probably done at least 1,500 issues, or is that right? Is that the well, right 12 math? a year. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. Minus my nine-month vacation or whatever. More than most full-time magazine <laughs> editors that get paid for it. And, it, you know, as long as you get um, contributions, it can be fun to do it. Uh, this last issue was interesting in that I had software issues, mm-hmm. and I don't care to go through that again. <laughs> I, I read your, your, your letter this month in the newsletter, and I was pulling my hair out for you. <laughs> but, you know, when you get contributions and uh, people send you pictures, it is like pulling teeth. I, it's curious to me that people can't send me a photograph from one of their trips with a caption. It would take five minutes, yeah. and it would add so much to the newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't pushed the right button to at least get a nice flurry mm-hmm. of them. Um, now that writing season's coming, I'll have something to write about myself, but I usually write about my stuff last. I want member contributions in there first. Um, and our, our buddy Jim Trotter in the U.K., mm-hmm. uh, He's up through June now. He said he wants to do one oh, a good. month, and I've got three in advance now from him. Oh, good. <laughs> but uh, it's, but it, you know, it's, you get pleasure out of producing the newsletter on time and having it pretty interesting. I did have an editor, and I still do if I use him or, uh, um, um, yeah, to check for typos and that kind of editor. And, uh, but I end up doing things at the last minute and don't have time to send it to him, even though he bounces it right back to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, down to the wire. And I know I did like uh, seven or eight submissions for you, and then this winter I just got really busy. Uh, so I, I, I will pick up on that eventually. But it's, you know, even in the, every issue, if I t- send pictures in, you know, they, they, there, there are some things going in there that I try to contribute even if I don't have time to, yeah. to sit down at my fake typewriter and, and write something. Well, you had a whole slew of photographs this time. That was really good. <laughs> well, I think some of those, I try to document the member events because it. I think it shows people that aren't going to all the events just how much um, activities there are. I and mean, there's yeah. a lot of things that, you know, at least every couple of months, if you ignore the breakfast, there's something to go to. Yeah. It was nice to see, uh, although um, uh, Larry emailed me because I think we had called his an R80 Oh, I was. Yeah. What is it? Uh, I can't remember. I think I, <laughs> it's well, it's a it's a GSPD, the Paris Dakar, but um, 
either way, he, he sent a snarky. <laughs> I think he reminded me of that last year, and it crossed my mind when I was writing uh, uh, writing it, and I never got to check back. And but then in the day, oh well, uh, wing uh, it. <laughs> and I'm doing the same thing as you probably do, which is well, it's a volunteer role. I do my best. <laughs> Sorry, there's a mistake. Um, so. An eye-opening thing for me last year was when the MOA had a bunch of the Northeast clubs um, go to. Was that somewhere in New York? We went to kind of a, a day-long thing. They talked about uh, I can't remember what they called it. But oh, that was that was um, Frank Florio's yeah. uh, regional rep thing. Yeah, it was kind of a date lunch and stuff with a bunch of people, and and, and yeah. it opened my eyes a lot to the the push pull that the chartered clubs have with the national rally mm. as far as the getaways and know marketing and kind of how they all kind of how they coordinate with mm. each other um it it makes me wonder thinking more big picture you know what the next 10 years of motorcycle clubs is going to be like you know because you you have everyone of the same interest which is you know grow or sustain your club uh, remain profitable so that you don't, and they, you know, it's not profitable as then we're taking money out of the bank account. It's profitable as we get to keep doing things for the members. Mm. Um, I use, I bring this up because if you look at Harley Davidson in particular, they have a problem with sales because people are getting older and not buying their bikes anymore. BMWs stayed that off a little bit, but I think that all those young people that are buying Beamers, you know, they need to also join a club for the clubs to survive. So do you do you see enough young people joining that you think that's not impacting us? Uh, interesting question. Um, a lot of the youth, and that's a relative term, <laughs> um, first were into GSs. Yeah. And well, somebody like you is young, and well, you're young too, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're not as young as in my generation. That would be middle age almost. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so people aren't riding in their younger years as much anymore, mm -hmm. and then the people get married later and start to have a family, and then they drop out until they're in their 40s or 50s, and right. then they're coming back. Uh, but the GS has brought in a lot of relatively younger people into yeah. the motorcycle clubs. And then the next one's the S1000RR, yeah. and most of those are more um, racers on, <laughs> on public I roads. I call them hooligans. <laughs> Squids. And... Uh, and <laughs> You know that's an issue. I don't. I don't know how club they are. They're more well. What we used to call them back in the day, uh, angry bees, uh, <laughs> like the rice rockets, and yeah, would yeah. be like angry bees in a big pack and just racing <laughs> around the roads, doing their wheelies and, and stuff. Yeah. Well, I don't. I guess I don't know. I haven't witnessed the S one thousand RR packs, but I understand there are some. <laughs> But, you know, to get something to attract them and hopefully tame them a little bit <laughs> yeah. um, to be good citizens, uh, it's a challenge. Because uh, yeah, I know Frank Florio and Ray Tubbs were kind of challenging us to think about S1000 riders because they, they, they're seeking much different things than you and I think about doing on our weekends. Yeah. You know, we want to ride 
to a, a campsite, maybe a five miles of dirt road to get there, hang out with our friends. And you know, those five. And, and those riders <laughs> want to do track days. You yeah, know, they want to well, exactly. Uh, and they are tend to be in their 20s and yeah. early 30s. Yeah. Um, and then at some point, they'll probably switch over to an R1200 RT or something because they want to and take in the sights a little bit less than 100 miles an hour. Well, a lot of them seem to come from the cities, too. Yeah, true. I know the last motorcycle show I went to, uh, they were talking, uh, some of the RR riders were coming up to the booth and talking about going down the Long Island Expressway at 200 miles an wow. hour. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And it's uh, like, yikes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're out there and they like speed. And, yes, the goal would be to get them on the racetracks. Yeah. And um, not only will they maybe live longer, <laughs> um, not give the reputation that, you know, motorcycles have had in the past. Right. And that's yeah. still a handicap. I, I was reading something the other day about... Oh, loud pipes, and um, of course they're mostly illegal these days. Yep. Uh, but um, how little kids, and I've seen them do it. Little kids at the side of the road will cover their ears when they see a motorcycle I coming. Same thing happened to me. And it's, and then you get these angry looks from horseback riders on the back roads, you yep. know, and you slow down, and your bike is quiet, and you're not spooking the horse, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you're respectful, and there's there's just such a uh, a barrier to climb over and try to convince people that you are good citizens. I think a lot of clubs have had that issue where they go to book a, a space for a camp out and, you know, it's always on the way out on Sunday. The organ, the, 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 the property owners will say, wow, you guys were amazing. You cleaned up after yourselves. You were yeah. quiet and they don't expect motorcycle riders to embody those sort of, you know, yeah. uh, conscious attitudes you'd see i know vermont had a bunch of police wandering around the national rally and other rallies they'll have the police coming around they expect all this trouble they get bored and go home yeah you know it's a whole bunch of (laughs) old people (laughs) hanging around behaving themselves (laughs) i have met you know i I know like some of the yankee beamers events i have met some guys my age that you're right that the gs kind of brought them into that the, the world early on but I know I got an email from Chip, who is, uh, I think he's current president of Yankee Beamers. Is that right? Not Chip. Um, Duncan. Uh, Duncan. Duncan Jeez. Cooper. Uh, and, you know, Duncan had emailed me asking me to make a dirt route for the younger guys because those guys want to get into, like, the mud. Yeah. And um, and so I sent him a few links. But, you know, I think all the clubs are trying to, you've got, you want to cater to every sort of personality. And that's, it's it's hard to do because, again, we're, we're volunteers and you're trying to do a, a track day and a, a BDR day and then just sit around the campfire day and uh, everyone kind of wants a different kind of ride. Yeah, I know with the Northeast Kingdom Camp and Ride, uh, you, uh, you know, it started out being a dirt ride mm-hmm. because there's so many uh, good roads. You go any direction. <laughs> up, up there in the Northeast Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, and now that not that it's as easy to to go uh, into Canada as it used to be, but you're near the Canadian border, and there's some neat things to see on that side mm-hmm. of the border. But there's there's all sorts of good tar up there too. Finally, the clubs decide, okay, we will get up there. My whole idea with organizing that event in the first place was you have a free place to stay for the night. Yep. 
and it's and then you can branch out and go ride that area, which mm-hmm. isn't what you're going to do from southern Vermont or from New York or even western Vermont. You're right. not going to. That's too much for one day ride and yeah. see anything, have any fun. And you can set out and just do a, a paved twisty road if you want to for the whole day and follow the, the rivers along or you can go yeah. and do ATV trails with if you have a sticker on your bike. And that's it's kind of it, you're right. It's a great area for diverse riding styles. It's fun going up to the four, four of the five Connecticut lakes and all. It it's a pretty ride. And um, there's some good coffee shops up there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it sounds to me that the, the really the I guess the, the biggest challenge we face is um First, the people have to buy the bike. They have to want to become riders and kind of fall in love with the sport. But then second is for clubs to kind of offer a, a, a I don't know, a, something that appeals to them. Right. Um, and I, I've always been the kind of person that every every friend I've ever had has always been 10 or 20 years older than me. So I always get along with people older than me. So a BMW bike was perfect <laughs> for me. Um, but, you know, the, I think... I've also had this question happen a lot where I mention um, an event that we're hosting at the MOV. I'll put it on Adventure Rider and someone will say, well, I have a KLR. Can I go? And a lot of people won't think they can't come because they don't have a BMW. But even the National Rally, you know, the BMW clubs have never discriminated, to my knowledge, against like a, you know, a certain brand unless your bike is just so loud we can't <laughs> we can't hear ourselves talk. It's not required in either level that you have a BMW. It more that you're um, in tune with the culture of riding responsibly, mm-hmm. taking classes, uh, not drinking and riding, yep. wearing the gear all the time. Uh, and then, you know, you're pretty much in. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, I wanted to talk briefly about your, your bikes. So you've you've owned how many motorcycles so far? think five okay and you've got two now but you had told me you won't get a third because you don't have room for another one (laughs) (laughs) no it wouldn't fit in the garage (laughs) Um, but i thought about a year ago you mentioned selling your your older gs which is an f700 is that right no the new one's a 700 the other the what is it the 07 is a 650 twin oh okay and the 17 is the 700 but now you've sounds to me that you kind of decided to keep both of them for now. Yeah, um, you know it's kind of nice to always have a bike. Although one time I think both bikes in the car, none of them were working on a particular day. <laughs> Fortunately, that only happened once. Um, but you know, a couple times I've jumped on one bike to go out and ah, I had a flat or something. So you just throw everything on the other bike and go on the other bike. <laughs> Not gonna stay home. <laughs> um, so, if, if you had room for a third, what would be your uh, your third bike in the garage? If you if you could pick one to, I don't know. I mean, as I get older, I think I should probably have a like an R bike instead of a, a GS. Um, it, for the you know the inseam. I mean, my legs aren't shrinking, my back maybe, yeah. but mm-hmm. but still, it's heavier, um, mm-hmm. more top heavy. But then I like being up higher and being able to see and hopefully be seen better from True. a GS. So I really don't know. I I thought maybe something like the 310 would be good. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's actually, I think it's a half inch longer inseam oh. for the GS. <laughs> um, 
and I rode the uh, uh, the three ten R and. Uh, well, it's not a highway bike. I mean, yeah. you can ride it on a highway, but it's you're always shifting one way or the other. Oh, right. It'd be fun for, you know, poking around. And as it turns out, um, the tires I've been running on, the GSs, have been mostly street rather than... Uh, they've been 90.10s or 95.5s. Yeah. And uh, so there's no reason why I couldn't do that with a our bike and still ride the dirt roads because I, I don't need to be in any rough stuff anymore if I break something I'm not going to heal well you're, you're plus to get the mileage you're doing you really can't buy the tires that are going to wear down every 2,000 miles either you need, you need yeah a, you need a, a tread yeah yeah well I like <clears throat> the Torrance necks seem to get the best results mm-hmm. well, being a dual compound when you're going straight you're not wearing wearing down the center quite as fast so where are you going um this year what's your your plan well unless the coronavirus throws a kink in the works um (laughs) i want to go to north carolina to fontana in april may i'll do down east and probably zip up to nova scotia new brunswick after that'd be your second year in a row going to nova scotia right uh third or i don't know dad's family came from there so i have some you know connections and some Mm -hmm. friends up there um then june will be out west and i want to get to council bluffs and pick up the mormon trail and finish that Uh, i rode it a couple uh, before the des moines rally i rode it that far and uh then weather permitting i'd like to duck down to Monument Valley, and then start heading up to Great Falls, Montana. Oh, yeah, which will be in June, right? Yeah, and yeah. then um, head out to Oregon, Washington, see some friends and uh, some relatives, and uh, head back some unknown route. So you'll definitely pass 25,000 miles this year then. I don't know. <laughs> I I didn't, well, if winter didn't come November 1st, I would have passed it this year, yeah. but <laughs> didn't work out. Um, and then, let's see, so that's June, July. Uh, the RA rally is what, in September? And that's back in, uh, in North Carolina again. Yeah. And I'll go down to South Carolina, see my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um there's something else in there somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> Have you done um, the Alaska ride yet? No, and this, I suppose, is the last year I could. Uh, but, you know, I like to ride alone, but I don't want to ride alone to Alaska. Right. And yeah. uh, and I don't care about going to Prudhoe Bay. I don't care about getting way up into Alaska. If I pass the state line and turn around and came back, that would be fine. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I'll decide when I'm out in Washington and Oregon and... Maybe you're feeling and good see. and the bike's running good and you just put on a fresh bit of tires <laughs> and go north. Well, I've been up to Jasper. Uh, you know, if I turned left, I would have gone up toward yeah. Alaska. And yeah. I went right and went to Banff. And mm-hmm. I was up that area a second time and I still didn't go. And I don't know. I know people who've done it alone, several, including women. But I don't know. I don't want to be Grizz's lunch, I guess. <laughs> well, it, it's it's true. It's you know, you, you, I guess that that's what we learn in our MSF classes or any classes, which it's all about the calculated risk. It's what what how much risk do you want to take for this level of fun or exploration? Mm. I guess the other thing is, 
I had hurt my back a while back, and uh, I can't pick the bike up anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if I drop it, I'm stuck. Yeah. And uh, that that's probably the biggest thing. But you and you're. I, I do the opposite of you, which you you stay really active in the winter time. You you're going on long walks and hikes, and you 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 stay in shape through the winter time. I guess because you you have to because you don't want to lose your your strength, right? I don't want to get fat. <laughs> you didn't look at me when you said that, which is nice. I know. <laughs> but no, I, I think that's 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 important. I know when I get on the bike every March or April, the first couple of weeks, I'm working out the kinks again, and yeah. things are limbering up and. I always wish I'd done more strength training over the winter time. Mm. Well, it must, I mean, it must work. I, I may lead a bone builders class twice a week where we're doing weights and balance and, and such. Um, but last year when I flew out to Decatur, Texas, mm-hmm. um, you know, I got on the bike to head toward Apache Junction yep. and, uh, you know, I, th- I did, what did I do, five, 600 mile day? I don't know. It was a real, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing in your way. You get on Route 380, I think it was 380, 180, yeah. and ended up in um, Carrizozo, New Mexico, mm-hmm. for the night. And there's really nothing to slow you down. It was a beautiful ride, but I was amazed I made it that far, and I wasn't tired or achy or anything. Uh, so something worked. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, going to be a big year. So you'll you'll hit your four hundred thousand this year. Is that what you said? Well, it's my goal. I, I think I'd asked you a year ago um, how many years until five hundred thousand. You'd kind of, I guess you you kind of dispelled that that was you know <laughs> not not a what's the best way to put it? It's not a an expectation that you have to get to five hundred thousand. But if you get to it, then you get to it. It's not a well. That was more true when I was at three hundred. I thought four hundred. Can I do that? And I said, oh, if I do twenty five thousand a year, that's only four years, and maybe I can do that. But hey, I'm seventy eight and a half. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so anything over four hundred's gravy. I, yeah. I think I'll, you know, I'll still ride, but not with any particular goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds to me that the, the current bikes you have, that's not your last bikes. You'll probably end up buying a, a, a third bike at some point and sell one of these. No, well, right now the Bumblebee, the 07 is my New England bike. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then the, the 17 will be my trip bike and it's about 34,000 on it now. So I don't know. I kind of like to not buy another bike. Um, it isn't cheap. <laughs> true, very true. And if I did, I'd probably get a used one, although I've always hesitated to get a used anything. I like to know how it was treated before I got it. But, they keep uh, getting more expensive, these bikes. <laughs> yeah, they do. They keep adding adding bells and whistles. Right. But, you know, having that 700 and seeing the bells and whistles on it, it's uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I don't usually farkle things up a lot, no. but those Darla lights, oh, oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it sounds, I, I, I've i been saying this for a while now, too. I'm, I'm so glad that you're a believer, too, which is the, the visibility of those lights, it is for, especially for cause the biggest killer of us in motorcyclists mm-hmm. is cross traffic. Yeah. You know, people not looking left and they just pull right in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and the lights, those yellow, bright yellow, they help a lot. I, it, it's amazing. I, I'm still shocked when you see somebody up ahead and you expect they're going to pull out and maybe they start, but they stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the times they don't even start. The only 
part that I found you still have to be, well, you still have to be careful, but um, if you turn a 90 and somebody is just after you turn, they haven't seen you. And I've had a couple people pull out, both in the same kind of situation. I, I saw them ahead of time, and I kind of figured that's what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. But um, but they don't see you when you're around the corner. Yeah. So I, I think well, I'm probably coming to an end here. Um, I wanted to kind of close, because you've done so many miles. I wanted to ask you maybe what was your favorite ride or your favorite road or your favorite site that you've ever seen on your bike? I mean, I always love going down the Blue Ridge and down the mountains of North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia. Um, probably the most dramatic has got to be the the um, Utah, probably New Mexico, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, Capitol Reef is the one that blew my mind, and uh, on down into Escalante. Uh, but you know, it's just so gorgeous out there. I have a favorite picture that Jeff Stein took of me when I visited him at uh, Arcosani, mm-hmm. north of Phoenix. And uh, it's he's got me riding away with just the desert and the mountains, and <laughs> it's such a neat feeling. You're out, you're out there all by yourself, but it's it's not scary. It's cozy <laughs> somehow. <laughs> I don't know how you'd be cozy in a big expanse, but yeah. it was a neat feeling. Well, I think that's probably a good a good way to end it. Anything else that I didn't get over that you, or didn't didn't ask that you wanted to talk about? No, I think I think you covered a lot. It was forty five minutes of talking. <laughs> well, thank you, Miro, for your time, and uh, I'm sure people will see you out on the road this year. Well, thank you. All right.